I mean, let's hope that we continue to take the ball away. Um, I'd like to have seen us run the ball more efficiently last night. We ran it, but I felt like there were more yards to be had when, when you watch the tape the next day. Um, and so, you know, physical at the line of scrimmage and then defensively, um, you know, defending the run is, is, I think, one of the keys that's helped us flip the script. Now, last night, obviously, in the second half, we began to see more handoffs with some success. So, um, but the line of scrimmage play and, and the turnover battle is something we're emphasizing. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a fresh edition of the Not Another Bucking Podcast. I'm Nick Cosmite, your host, Broncos beat reporter at The Athletic. Um, and we're here to kind of break down where the Broncos are heading into a pivotal Week 11 game at home, Sunday night football, prime time against the Minnesota Vikings. Denver has won three straight going to this game to get back to four and five. The Vikings have won five in a row after a one and four start to go to six and four. So these are teams that have both um, overcome slow starts, um, you know, really poor starts relative to the expectations and are starting to kind of, um, you know, find their identity and find their rhythm. Uh, but both teams need this game uh, pretty intensely. Denver in particular, right? As, as much as they have turned the corner, uh, winning three straight, including two big wins against perennial AFC contenders in Kansas City and Buffalo, um, they still have a lot of work to do to get back into the to the to the real playoff picture, right? Um, the Broncos, when they fell to one and five following the Week Six loss to the Chiefs in Kansas City, um, you know the New York Times sort of predictor algorithm had them with a less than one percent chance to make the playoffs. That's been bumped all the way to to ten percent. That's that's a big jump, but it still sort of illustrates um, just how treacherous ahead Denver's path is. And when you start to look at the schedule and, and and you say, hey, they could maybe lose two more games and and still, you know, still have a chance to get themselves in the playoffs. Um, this isn't one of the ones that you that you think you can drop and, and still pick up enough wins along the way. This is a, a mammoth game for the Broncos, who are two and a half point favorites as of as of today, as of Thursday, um, going into this game, uh, trying to make it four in a row. So um, we are going to have Alec Lewis, my colleague at The Athletic, who does a phenomenal job covering the Vikings, um, has been all over this, this wild Josh Dobbs story that we'll talk about um, a little bit. Um, excited to have you guys here from, from Alec, who, like I said, does, does an awesome job covering the Vikings for us. Um, but some, some other house cleaning, uh, house cleaning items before we get to that conversation. Uh, Marvin Mims, the rookie punt and kickoff returner for the Broncos, uh, has won AFC Special Teams Player of the Week. Uh, he became the first Broncos returner since 2020 um, to earn that award. First Broncos rookie since Justin Simmons in 2016 um, to get that weekly honor from the NFL. Uh, he had 75 combined yards on three returns, two of them punt returns, one of them a kickoff return. Uh, both of his punt returns, one of 17 yards, the other of 27 yards, uh, helped set up the Broncos um, for touchdowns in that game against the Bills. The, the big one, the 27-yarder, helped the Broncos start their, their go-ahead touchdown drive in the fourth quarter around midfield. Um, he, has been, he has been dynamic in that role. He leads the NFL in punt return average at 20.6 yards um, per punt return. He is second in the NFL in kickoff return average 
at 33.6 yards, and he's one of only two players in the NFL this year who have a kickoff return for a touchdown, the other being um, the Houston Texans up man, uh, Andrew Beck, who kind of caught a fluky, bouncy uh, ball and, and, and returned it for the Texans in week two or three, I believe. Um, so, so again, Mims has arguably been, if you add kickoff and punt together, he, he probably not even arguably, he has been the best return weapon in the NFL this season. So it was a well-deserved honor for him. Now we just see, Hey, how do the Broncos manage to, um, to, to, to put that dynamic ability into the offensive field of play, something they just have not been able to do since week four. Um, so we'll see if they can find any of those opportunities for him going forward. Um, you know, other items, this is the second straight primetime game for the Broncos after after beating the Bills on Monday night. One of the things to watch for here is, is the short rest. How do the Broncos handle that? They stayed in Buffalo until, uh, until about 1 p.m. Uh, local time on Tuesday, then flew back, um, had player day off on Wednesday, and now the Broncos get back at it with two full practices Thursday and Friday, followed by a Saturday walkthrough. So we'll see. Um, you know, kind of how the plan to make it a longer trip to Buffalo, um, you know, sort of serves the Broncos as they go forward on the injury front. There's a couple to watch for. Um, the Broncos did not practice Wednesday, but they had a sort of a projected injury report, um, that they sent out, um, Ben powers, the left guard was a projected DNP, uh, with, with a foot injury. So that's certainly one to watch because the Broncos have not missed a start among their top five offensive linemen this season. Um, so, so with powers, that's, that's a big one to watch. Um, but good news on the offensive line front is that Lloyd Cushenberry, the center who, who missed a couple series at the end of, uh, Sun, uh, Monday night's game against the bills. Um, he was not on that practice report, which signals he'll be good to go, um, for the Vikings. So those are, those are the ones to watch. Also the Broncos, uh, DNP was, was PJ Locke. He hurt his ankle in that game early, had a walking boot on in the locker room. Uh, but good news for Denver, if P.J. Locke's unable to go, Kareem Jackson has been activated after serving his two-game suspension um, You know, for a buildup of uh, personal foul penalties related to illegal hits. He will be back and in uniform for the Broncos on Sunday. So um, good news there as they get the depth back. With all that housekeeping out of the way, let's get to our conversation with my colleague, Alec Lewis. All right, and we're back here on the Not Another Bucking podcast with our guests for this week. Alec Lewis covers the Minnesota Vikings uh, with us here at the Athletic. Uh, Alec, man, thanks for thanks for joining us today. Yeah, happy to be here, man. It's been a wild ride, I guess, for both of both of the teams we cover. It's uh, crazy. Uh, the Vi- I know in Vikings land, it's been crazy. So um, yeah, it should be fun. To, I'm excited for this game. Like way more excited than a yeah. couple weeks ago. I think I thought I would be. No, that's the that's the crazy thing, right? Like Minnesota started one and four. Uh, Denver started one and five. Um, and now these both of these teams are feeling like they have a playoff shot, um, which given their starts and, and the statistical oddities of that, um, you, you you didn't give either much of a chance. And now here they are. We, we were talking in Denver like number of weeks ago. It was just sort of a matter of time until they flex this game out of, of Sunday night. And then uh, sure enough, they leave it in and, and both these teams keep winning um, for 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 Minnesota. um Give me sort of the 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 Cliff Notes version of what has been the biggest turnaround since since the one and four start. I'm guessing it's not you know getting rid of the anchor that is Justin Jefferson that was clearly holding them back <laughs> since they're five and zero since he went down. 
Um, but so what, what has been, what has kind of been maybe the, the cliff notes of, of what has propelled Minnesota on this five game winning streak? Yeah, it's funny. Some people have mentioned like Ewing theory, what Bill Simmons always talks about with Justin Jefferson. It's like, come on, come on people. This is ridiculous. You watch that guy every Sunday, you know what he's about. Um, I'll give you the very quick cliff notes, turnovers. Uh, in the first four games, the Vikings turned the ball over relentlessly in every possible conceivable like facet. I mean, they were turning the ball over within the opposing team's 30-yard line, like triple the rate of any other team in the NFL. And it was Justin diving for the pylon, letting go of the football. It was Kirk throwing a pick six in the red zone uh, in Carolina. I mean, it just made no sense. There were multiple uh, interception and a lot of fumbles that really um, hampered this team's chance at beating Tampa in week one, at beating Philly on the road. I mean, they were in all of these games early on, and internally they 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 kept a positive outlook. They said they they told media members like we we think we've got the team, and it, it got harder to try. I mean, the more you turn the ball over on a week to week basis, the the easier it gets to be like maybe this is just a feature of this team and not a bug. And then after week five, they played. The Kansas City Chiefs, they lost that game. Justin got hurt. Um, their schedule got easier, and, and they they started to maintain possession of the football. And from there, really, Kirk Cousins started to play as good as I think he's ever played. There was such fluidity with the offense, even without Justin. Guys like rookie wide receiver Jordan Addison, guys like tight end TJ Hawkinson really started to come on. And then Kirk gets hurt, and, and they've just continued to battle with Josh Dobbs, who is – doing some stuff like he's in a matrix or something in the pocket. It's hard to really understand. It's easy to question whether it's sustainable or not. But um, the reason that they've be able, been able to respond from 0-3 and 1-4 and is the fact they've held on to the football, um, and there just seems to be a rhythm on offense that did not exist uh, prior to those, those, those losses, these wins. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Some of Denver's climb back – has been built on some of that same stuff. Um, they, of course, started the season on a historically inept pace defensively. Um, anytime you give up 70 points in an NFL game, it's going to anchor your your statistical profile for the rest of the season. Um, but they have, like like kind of Minnesota, they've they've changed their turnover equation. And for Denver, it's been defensively. They have they have forced a tremendous amount of turnovers, a nine in the last two games alone. And that that has sort of given an offense that doesn't have necessarily a lot of margin for error on its own. Um, they've kind of given them that cushion because of how often they've taken the ball away. The fact that Denver has started uh, in their last two games, their average starting field position is their own 44 yard line. Um, you know, you get those kind of things going and it gives you gives you a, a better chance. Um, you mentioned you mentioned Dobbs. It's, it's an incredible part of this story. You know, Minnesota had already won three in a row, but then. Kirk Cousins goes down. What when he did? When Kirk Cousins went down, given the way that he was playing, what was sort of the what was the feeling then? The mood, like, gosh, we were getting it going. Now this is out. Like, what what was the what was the mood at the time? Yeah, it really was. I mean, Kirk Cousins. They beat the 49ers on Monday night at US Bank Stadium in a really impressive win, and it was like, wow, I guess this team is capable of that. And then they go to Green Bay, and before Kirk suffered that Achilles injury at Lambeau Field. The offense looked as, I mean, as as fluid and rhythmic as it had looked all year. And I know Green Bay has had the year that they've had, but it was like, I mean, what is this team capable of? Because the, the part I didn't mention is the defense. I mean, Brian Flores was hired to replace Ed Donatel. And essentially, 
it was a shift from being as passive as you could possibly be to being as aggressive and dynamic as you could possibly be. And early on, um, the Vikings got beat a little bit. Justin Herbert came into U.S. Bank Stadium, performed. Um, but but Brian Flores' unit, I mean, he'll use three safeties. He'll use five DBs. And it started to gel around the time that Kirk Cousins started to play as good as he played. So you started to wonder, like, what is – really possible for this team. And then Kirk goes down in the locker room after that game. I'll never forget. They had won the game, beaten Green Bay a rival. And it, it just felt like it was kind of like over, depleted. I mean, the guys were not celebrating in a way that they normally would. And then uh, the question after that was, what will Minnesota do at quarterback? Their, their backup, Nick Mullins, was hurt. Um, the market was so interesting. And then you saw that Josh Dobbs got benched. And it was like, ah, maybe that's an option. And ultimately it was. And he's come in here, and obviously the game against Atlanta two weeks ago and not knowing the playbook has become a national story. But um, I've been really impressed by his like ability to get through reads, his the way he keeps his eyes up, and he's kept two hands on the ball, and he's moved the offense in a way that paired with Brian Flores' defense and maintaining the football and just the, the I guess, tidal way that has built a momentum for this team. They've been able to, to, to really thrive, and it's a team that – like, as I look every single week, and you know this, I'm sure, in terms of you see these matchups, you're like, ah, it could kind of go either way. But you just believe in the momentum enough of what the Vikings have done to be like, they, they might just pull it out. And that's how last year felt in a weird way. And it started to feel a little bit like that, given their six and four now. Yeah, and it's, it's one of those things with, with Minnesota. You know, a lot of people talk about the variance of close games yeah. and how, you know, obviously Minnesota had a record amount of those sorts of wins last year on their way to the playoffs. Um, and then, you know, early on when they were losing those games, like you said, it was, it was the, the narrative I think was like, oh, well, they were, they were bound to, to kind of have the pendulum swing the other way. But as you, as you pointed out, a lot of it wasn't necessarily that they forgot how to win close games. It was that the turnovers just, just put you behind. Um, I think we're seeing some of that now with, with Denver. And again, it, it's, it's hard to quantify this, but they have, they have been in all these kind of games for, for a long time. It's the NFL. Most of them, most of them are they're starting to kind of come out on the, on the favorable end of it because their coaching is a lot more sound in terms of situational awareness. Um, obviously Minnesota has a lot of that going on with Kevin O'Connell who finished runner up here or, or, or in their minds finished runners up um, to, to him uh, in 2022. They, they went with Nathaniel Hackett that did not go well. Um, so, you know, it, I, there are some, there are some similarities I think in the way that these two teams have kind of, have kind of swung it back this year. Um, I want to ask you about about Jefferson. Now he he his window opened up before last week's game against New Orleans. He ultimately um, was not activated. What's kind of the latest in terms of you know hit, hit the chance that he'll be ready on Sunday night here in Denver? Yeah, the coaching staff has talked about it in terms of he's he's continuing to ramp up. He's doing more every day, um, but they're not going to rush this. And that's been the the refrain from the very beginning. Is like with a guy like this who thrives off being a quick twitch athlete. Um, that is everything that he does from a releases off the line of scrimmage, from his route running ability throughout, um, throughout kind of the field. Uh, all of that is built off his ability to, to, to move quickly. And so to rush him back, um, th they've said they're not going to do it. As far as whether he'll play this weekend or not, if I was betting on it, I would say no at this point. Um, but he, I said this to someone yesterday, like he does some things that always make you wonder. So, um, who knows? We'll see. I know he wants to be out there. Like you can, 
every every week he, he's obviously down on the sidelines and very engaged but he's also a guy who um is so competitive and and uh i think just sees the writing although he's talked all the time like he wants to be a hall of famer and so to do that you got to be on the field so i would never say never but um the way they've talked about it early in this week i would say uh they're gonna be nicer to vance joseph in that defense by keeping him out probably <laughs> this week yeah I mean, which, you know, it'd be great for us to get the, you know, the Alabama versus LSU, two guys at the very tops of their craft and Pat Sertan and Justin Jefferson. That would be, I think, a matchup um, tailor made for for a Sunday night primetime game. But, um, you know, that that's one that we'll that we'll have to continue to um, to, to watch out for. Um, when you look at this game, Alec, as, as you've started to kind of get into it a little bit um, again, two teams that are that have that are as hot as as, as any two teams in the league. Um, what, what are you, what are you most intrigued by in this game? What, what, what are some of the things that are kind of top of mind for you as we, as we start digging into all this stuff? Yeah, you touched on the coaching matchup, but I, I mean, Sean Payton against the Vikings. I don't know how much you know this, but like people here call him the anti-Vike. It's kind of a joke because of what happened in New Orleans against the Vikings. And so that element and, and really just the coaching jobs that both of these two guys have done and, and, and just watching them match up against each other. I think Kevin O'Connell has a lot of respect for what Sean has done. Um, so that, that fascinates me, intrigues me. It's built for prime time, obviously. And then uh, I'm going to really go out on a limb and say, I'm interested to see what Russell Wilson looks like on, uh, on national TV against Brian Flores. Um, it's funny. I watched that bills game and um, watching, uh, <laughs> watching Russell Wilson, against those, those cover zero snaps against Buffalo, I was like, well, this is what next week is, is has the potential to be. And, and, and I say that, and what's interesting is it's become kind of a um, theme that people on the outside, when they think of Brian Flores, they just think cover zero. And it's part, again, media-wise, I do it too sometimes. But really, over the past few weeks, they've leaned in almost the polar opposite way to rushing three and dropping eight. And so that push and pull and how Brian Flores tries to throw – those two polar ends of the spectrum at Russell Wilson in this offense uh, to me is going to be really interesting. Like I, I, you will know this and I'm curious to hear from you, like when Russell Wilson has faced the blitz this year, how has he looked? Has he looked smooth or am I going off a one game sample to see that PI call? I, 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 I'd be really curious to know what you think about that. Yeah, they, they have, they have gotten better with it um, as, as the season has gone on. They've, they, they've sort of, They've really tried to game plan around pressure um, the best that they can. I, I think there's been sort of a, a level of acceptance uh, for Sean Payton coaching Russell Wilson that um, you're going to take sacks. Like he, I think he's the third most sacked quarterback in the league at this point. Um, he, he's pretty on a pretty similar pace to last year when he got sacked 55 times. Uh, it's just sort of where he is now in that, like, you know, you still see the mobility and what it can do. I, I mean, the, the fourth down touchdown pass he had to Cortland Sutton on Sunday night was was the most wild play he's had since he got here. I mean, that was, you know, you're, you're going back, you're running to your left, then you spin around, throw off your back foot from the 23 yard line into the end zone to, to, to a guy that's like leaning half of his body over the sideline. It was incredible. So he still has some of that. He, he also has been much more effective and decisive um, pulling the ball down and running against pressure and, and just sort of taking, taking what that gives him. He, he's done that a lot more frequently, a lot more willingly than he did in 2022. Um, so those are some of the ways that they've kind of counteracted it. You've seen the way that they've handled pressure in like two minute situations is by, you know, kind of keeping a running back close to the line of scrimmage and having him available to just sort of flip the ball to after Russell Wilson evades 
some of the pressure so that they've they've kind of counteracted ways non-traditional ways i guess to handle it because it certainly hasn't been hey we're, we're going to straight drop back and, and be able to handle this heat that they're not really they're not really built that way so they've gotten a little bit creative um and i i'm with you i will be very curious to see how they how they continue to tinker based on those those really unique ways that brian flores gets after you know i i remember um, the, the Broncos had a game against the Dolphins a couple years ago when, when his defense was just uh, playing really, really well, like the way that it was shape-shifting and all that kind of stuff. Um, the, the Broncos won that game, but you could just see what, what, what he, he had the ability to do, especially as he gets to a defense that has um, you know, some, some good personnel at all three levels. So uh, I, I'm with you. I, I think that that pressure for Russell Wilson – um, is huge. And then the other thing, Alec, is we, we talked about it off the top, but but how the turnover thing in this game is, yeah. is situated. Like Denver, again, like I said, they've they have forced nine turnovers in the last Crazy. two games. It's it's insane and it's it's clearly not sustainable. You're not going to be just getting turnovers by the handful every week. Um, Denver's biggest thing has been limiting their own um, li- limiting their own turnovers. They've only had two in that same time span. Um but you know, can they can they kind of keep that up? And then if they're not producing, you know, two, three, four turnovers, can the offense do enough kind of on its own merit um, in in order to continue to score points? That that's that's going to be the the thing that I'm really curious to see. Yeah, and and I always feel funny talking about turnovers because I'm like maybe people just think it's a boring talker. But if you talk to analytics people in this space, it's like. What is the one statistic that usually decides games more than any other? And it is turnovers. And I guess I'll use that as a tangential, like tangentially related thing that also for me in this game is like, which offense is staying on schedule? Are they both staying on schedule? And if not, because if Russell Wilson's third and long, it's Brian Flores and, and how they mix and match personnel, it's probably going to be very difficult. And similarly, I mean, if you're having to drop back Josh Dobbs and, and facing this, a secondary and defense that seems to be adapting a little bit um, in a way that that could give quarterbacks problems. Um, it'll be tough. So that that push and pull of this game is going to be very interesting. And you mentioned Sir Tam, but if he's lined up against Jordan Addison, I mean Jordan Addison is a very slight guy. He's I think maybe even smaller than me, which doesn't make any sense because he makes plays on the field that makes him feel like he's six three. And right. if he's matched up against the physicality of of Sir Tana, it'll be a great test and it'll be one that um I know people here will be enjoy they will enjoy watching for sure. Yeah. Uh I got a couple a couple other uh, quick personnel questions for you. As some as somebody who has TJ Hawkinson on two fantasy teams <laughs> and very impressed with the way that he has kind of come around a what's been the biggest um you know kind of the biggest thing that he's done over the last few weeks and then um b is our guy dalton reisner he's now starting there at at left guard what's what's you know what's kind of been his his growth there yeah dalton is a red bull in human form um he is on the field jump kicking picking guys up yelling on the side i mean in the locker room i think he said after they beat atlanta he told one of the media members like i love you guys man you're like geez what was going on um no but dalton has been a has been a fun addition and, and the vikings actually moved their previous left guard ezra cleveland prior to the deadline to jacksonville so that dalton could could tech step in and take all the snaps. he's done a great job in pass pro and really helped that unit um, and then as, as far as TJ Hawkinson, who, again, is a great pick by you in fantasy, what people, I mean, he's put up the numbers he has recently. What people don't realize is he is navigating, I don't know the extent of his rib injury, 
But I know last week I saw him in the locker room with an ice pack around his entire lower body with like a gauze tape that was like this big, just taping it, the, the ice pack. And he was ripping it off like a kid ripping off a Band-Aid, like cringing, scrunching his face. And I was like, I don't know what this guy's going through. But then for him to go out on the field, I think catch 11 passes in the first half the way he did against New Orleans, um, it was it was wowing. He, when you ask what has unlocked him, I, I really think Kevin O'Connell and staff has put him in really good spots. And then he just – He's just battled. I mean, he's just gotten open. He's slippery in, in open space against um, smaller dudes and, and bigger linebackers. So he's a guy who all Sunday night will probably be a premium target option for Josh Dobbs. And it's funny because Josh and TJ both live in Nashville in the off seasons, and they've actually thrown together in routes on air. And Josh told us this, but I don't know. I don't even know if the Vikings knew that. Um, it's, it's paid dividends early on. So, um, yeah, he's, he's been, it's not surprising. I told people before the season, if you look back at at the time last year that the Vikings acquired him in the back half of the season, he was like top 15 in targets in the entire NFL among all pass catchers. And so to see him do what he's done, um, just really not that surprising. And it's why they paid them, paid him prior to the season. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be interesting to see how the the Broncos handle that, that, challenge one of the big reasons they were able to upset kansas city a couple weeks ago is they finally uh for <laughs> once were able to corral travis kelsey uh, a little bit so another big challenge for them and tj hawkinson uh alec thank you man for for um for joining us today can't wait to um can't wait to see you out here this weekend uh you guys can follow alex uh, alex excuse me on x alec x you know it's a little <laughs> yeah make my parents made that really easy thanks um at alec underscore lewis uh on on x there and then um go to theathletic.com slash Vikings to catch up on all of his work uh, at The Athletic, including great piece he has out there today on Brian Flores' um, you know, ever-evolving defense um, with, with more to come this week on, on Josh Dobbs and his crazy story as well. Um, Alec, thanks again, and, and thank you all for listening. We'll, uh, we'll catch you next time.